you have no idea. <laughs> if I just... There will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. Hi, welcome back to the Vox Popcast. This is Wayne this week. Uh, Mav is not with us. He's on vacation in Myrtle Beach, sunning and drinking and probably swearing at people. Uh, so we're going to try this, uh, see what happens. So tonight's topic, I have two guests with me. I have Marcel Walker, who's a local Pittsburgh writer and artist and man about town. Hello, folks. And I have uh, another guest here. I'm going to let introduce herself. Rocco, do you want to jump in? Uh, hi, I'm Rocco Gasson. Um, I'm a doctoral student at Duquesne University uh, with a focus in Jewish studies and uh, modernist poetry. I'm happy to be here tonight. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, the doctoral studies in Judaism is, is going to play a big role tonight. Tonight we're talking about a project that Marcel and I have been involved with for four or five years now. It's a, a comic book series called Hoots Pal, Real Superheroes of the Holocaust. Uh, we have worked on it as writers and artists on this project. Uh, we're going to start out by just talking a little bit about the background of it and, and what our roles are in it. So I, I guess I'm just going to jump into that. Yeah, you should probably start, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh in late 2013, and Marcel, feel free to jump in if I get any of this wrong, because you've been working with it more daily than I have. In late 2013, the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh reached out to me. They were looking for new ways to teach Holocaust studies. They, they wanted to do something other than focus on the horror and the tragedy. They, they wanted to focus on people who did genuinely heroic things, talk about people who engaged in acts of heroism and bravery during the, this horrible time period. Uh, one of the people who worked there was a, a customer of mine at Phantom of the Attic. He knew a lot of the earliest creators of comics were Jewish. And, and he thought there might be a, a way to, to work that into something. So they called me in my role as comics historian initially just to talk about the Jewish creators of superheroes. And, and in the course of these conversations, the idea came up of using the superhero as a metaphor to talk about these people who did heroic actions. And at least initially, the, the, the original plan was for it to be a museum exhibit that would premiere at the Pittsburgh Arts Festival and then be able to travel around to different places utilizing comic-style artwork to tell the stories of real-life survivors of the Holocaust. And we did that, but the project really exploded from there. Somewhere during one of the meetings, someone suggested, well, hey, do you think it's possible for us to actually make a comic book? They found out that I write comics and I draw comics and I know everybody in Pittsburgh who does. So, so we made a comic. Uh, we've actually made three of them at this point. The first one focused on survivors who settled here in Pittsburgh after the Holocaust. The second issue focused on more international, some more well-known figures. And the third one came back to talking about survivors who settled here in Pittsburgh, but the focus on it was very specifically people who were children at the time of the Holocaust. Uh, so over the course of, of this conversation, we'll talk about some of the artists we work with. Uh, I recruited a number of local writers and, and artists, uh, Marcel B. first among them. I had a um, nice inside window into that project, so yeah. I would have bogarted my way in there one way or another. <laughs> so... And, and since that time, Marcel has actually been hired by the Holocaust Center to be project manager. He was project manager for 
all of issue three. He, he worked on, he and I both worked on all three issues. He was project manager for the third issue, which included him being editor and a number of other things, which he'll talk about. Uh, and we have plans for more. So Marcel, you want to talk a little bit more about your, yeah, your piece sure. Um, so Wayne, of course, was involved with the project first. I often feel like I was involved with it from the beginning though, because I was aware that you were on, you were involved with the project that you were on the Hoods Pow committee. Um, you know, in the project, of course, it wasn't even called Hoods Pow originally. It was called Upstanders. Uh, so you get the credit for naming the project. Um, so I'll let you tell that story a little bit. But, uh, so, uh, once, once the committee was formed and you, all the decisions were made to move forward, you know, when you reached out and brought, uh, creators in, uh, I was one of the artists that was asked to participate. And like I said, if you guys hadn't asked me, I was going to force my way in there. So it's a smart move. But uh, yeah, so I, I came on board and I, I basically I became the lead project artist, worked on, the, I did the cover artwork, which I've gone on to do on all three volumes thus far. And I uh, contributed artwork for a story for the first issue, which you wrote because you wrote all the stories in the first issue. Uh, and then the second issue, I wrote and drew a story. And in volume three, you and I again collaborated on uh, some of the interior art. So, yeah. So in volumes one and two, of course, we had uh, we had an editor. His name is Zach Zaffers, who worked at the Holocaust Center. Zach was, and, Zach was my customer who had invited mm-hmm. me to participate. And in Zach, the great guy. Because, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's important to mention that there's some key figures that were involved with Hoots Pal at that early stage that the project just could not have happened without, you know, Drew Goldstein uh, was one of them. He was one of the earliest benefactors of the project. Who's initially really drew started the project really in that he approached the Holocaust center with what became Hoots Pal. Uh, Zach was the, was our editor and he, you know, did an amazing job considering he, he was also busy with a lot of other things at the time, which I only became aware of later, the extent of that. But, uh, yeah, so he was our editor on Volumes 1 and 2, and he talked to the Holocaust Center's current director, Lauren Barron's father, uh, and about creating a position for a project manager, project coordinator, and that is the position that I was offered and that I currently have out there. So I am the Hutzpah project coordinator, and so I'm effectively, when we're in production mode, I am the Hutzpah editor. Uh, and I retain my title of uh, lead project artist and stuff. So artist and writer wrangler. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, it's been that's been that's been interesting, but it's also been lovely because as you you you're well aware because you've been you're the, you've been the lead project writer for all three issues thus far. And the best part about the each volume has had a larger group of creators. And this most recent issue, volume three has had the largest pool of talent that we've had and a very, very inclusive group of talent as well. Uh, so it, it's, the project has only become better. You know, I, I, as much as I still love volume one and volume two, cause we really hit the ground running with this project. We had nothing, you know, no precedent specifically for what it was, but uh, you know, the volume three is really, I think it's really special. It's, it's really, it's most demonstrative of what we're trying to do with this project. And, uh, and it's also, I think, important to note that the survivor community that we have worked with to help us produce this book, because that's really what the, what the, what the work exists for, to preserve the stories and the micro histories of survivors. 
when we were and you know, you know this as well as anybody, when we produced that first issue, we had nothing to account for. You know, we had there was no precedent. And the reaction wasn't always great and when they heard what we were looking to do, and you can probably talk to that more directly. Yeah. Uh and Rocco, I I want to invite you to, to jump in, in here at any point. This is something Marcel and I have worked on this for, for quite some time and you, we yeah, we length. can talk about it at length and I, I want to make sure to I want to make sure to include you. So please feel free to, to ask any questions or yeah. even at this point, just, you know. Well, I mean, I did have some questions if you, if you're taking them. Um, Cause I've looked at the, um, the links that you sent me both to the Holocaust museum exhibit that seems to be ending today. And I'm curious also to question, um, you know, from a pedagogical standpoint, because I also teach at the university, you know, Duquesne university, um, I just think it's phenomenal that we have this addition to, you know, you know, our literary curriculum that includes the comic book and, you know, of course, the graphic novel, which I try to incorporate um, into classes that I teach um, because they're so they're really students are able to connect to them and incorporating the visual always is helpful, um, you know, to learn as many ways as you possibly can in the classroom. But I'm, I guess my first question is, um, at the Holocaust Center, is this just a part-time exhibit? I noticed like on the website that you have it ending today, but is this something that someone can visit any time and get the experience? Or, you know, how does, how does one access these works that you're publishing? I'm glad that you asked that. And I'm, I'm actually super glad that you mentioned uh, the, the date that this was ending because like many places, I work at the Holocaust Center, but I'm not always exploring every nook and cranny of the website. And uh, I will have to make mention to, to, uh, to our marketing person that, that we need to update that. We actually have, the, it was, ex- the, the exhibit has been popular enough that, and so we currently have an art exhibit from the art from volumes one and two of Hutzpah at the Holocaust Center. It's called Hutzpah, the Art of Resistance. Uh, it's been yeah. it's been up since February 11th. That, that originally it was going to be done today, but we've actually extended the run of the exhibit. So it's going to be up, up through summer, up to the end of summer. So oh, we still okay. have that exhibit available. And we, when, when this debuted, we all, there was another exhibit that also debuted at the American Jewish Museum, which is in the Jewish Community Center in Squirrel Hill. And that one had artwork from volume three. Uh, that, that exhibit has since ended, but it has been repurposed as a pop-up exhibit. Uh, we did that just a couple weekends ago at the Three Rivers Comic Con, and that may that will probably resurface again because it was that was also very well received. So, so the exhibit exhibitions are meant to to live and be out there. Uh, like I said, right now the Art of Resistance is still available for visits, and and we have public hours at the Holocaust Center, which are available on the website, uh, hcofpgh.org. Uh, but the books are also available, and they can be purchased there. They can be purchased at local comic shops, you know, at Phantom of the Attic here in Pittsburgh, uh, because we want to get that out, especially, I I need to point out, to educators. Hutzpah was created with an education curriculum in mind. With a t- So we are currently putting the finishing touches on a teacher's resource guide, because oh, this is meant, fantastic. I mean, it's meant for for general audiences, but it's also specifically meant for educators to use at 
pretty much all levels from, I'd say, middle school and up. And that's been part of the goal from the earliest meetings of this is it, this is a, a, a different way of teaching the Holocaust. So as a writer, you know, I, I knew going into it, they wanted this stuff to, to be accessible to middle school, high schoolers. Uh, and, you know, and Marcel, I guess you can speak to this as well. They, they were making the book available to any high school who, who wanted to utilize it. And there have been people who've worked at the Holocaust Center in the past and currently who have developed very specific curriculum around the stories that we've written. Uh, I wasn't given a curriculum. I wasn't, you know, as a, as a creative person, I wasn't told you need to do this, this, and this. They pretty much gave me the creative freedom to write the stories I wanted to write about these people's lives. Um, and then they developed a curriculum around what I wrote. And that, that's very flattering. Well, that's nice that they uh, gave you some authorial agency there, too. Yeah. And, I mean, and, you know, but it was, there was fact-checking, you know, there was that sort of thing. It, it went through an approval process with a committee who did fact-checking on some of the historical stuff. I have a history background, so I, I really love the whole concept of research. So for a lot of the, the local people, just over the last however many years, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, however long that community has been here, uh, a lot of these people have written biographies or written books or just essays. There's a book called Flares of Memory that, that has short stories written by many of the, the local Pittsburgh survivors. Uh, there were videotapes and, and online interviews and, and that sort of thing. And I walked out of the Holocaust Center one day with just this giant tote bag full of research material and felt kind of giddy about it. Uh, so, you know, so I was given that, that freedom to just kind of do the research and find these people's stories and, and tell them the way I wanted to. And that was obviously in collaboration with the artists we worked with as well, who at some point before we're done tonight, I do want to name the other people working on the project. But yeah, so it's, it's going into schools. We, this spring, a woman teaching Holocaust studies at the University of Pittsburgh was using Hutzpah. Uh I can't tell you how flattered I feel that my work is being taught at the college level. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm highly interested in this because I actually teach a course on the literature of Pittsburgh, and I think this is something that, as far as locally, we, we really haven't touched on. And I haven't really delved, you know, delved into this, um, the idea of Holocaust survivors in our own city. And I think that's really nice that we can mm-hmm. bring a piece of literature or create this literature to talk about our own people and our own history right here in the city of Pittsburgh. And I think it's really, it's really great to highlight that. Oh, absolutely. And, and Marcel and I are both you know, obviously highly invest in this project and uh, you're willing to come in and, and do talks and, and all that sort of thing. This is, I mean, this whole episode is, is essentially a tremendous amount of shameless self-promotion for a project that Marcel and I have worked on. <laughs> uh, but I, but it's, I think it's an important project. So I, you know, I guess some of it in the larger picture is also talking about just that idea of using comics and you know pop culture, movies or whatever, as a way of talking about history and, preserving narratives and personal stories and, and that type of thing. Marcel alluded to this earlier. When we first came up with this idea, there was a lot of resistance to it. Just And I admit a lot. That's probably overstating it. There was some resistance to it on the part of some of the, the older survivors in the community. And some of that just comes from that mindset of what comics are. You know, they, they hadn't read comics since they were kids, if ever. There's still that mindset of comics being silly and goofy and, and whatever. And there were some people who had some real concerns of you know, this, um, I diminishing the stories in some way that it wouldn't take them seriously. And 
I'm, I'm happy to say that pretty much across the board, any of the survivors who saw this once it was done, they immediately came on board to the project. They saw the value of it. They they gave us their blessing. They, they were really impressed by it. And at that point, we started having more and more of them want to be included in the next one. Yeah, it's interesting to me because uh, if not for Mav, I would not have heard of this project. I mean, I don't regularly visit the Holocaust Museum, but I'm regretting that now. I'm thinking that I should. We'll have to arrange that. I think I know know somebody you can talk to that can work that out. (laughs) The thing is, like this idea of promotion and this podcast is a great way to do that. But as a member of, you know, a quite an active and diverse Jewish community, um, I wonder if it's worth, you know, I mean, you talk about Holocaust survivors being accepting of this, but maybe reaching out to synagogues and talking to, you know, um, you know, Hebrew schools and, you know, I mean, there's so many outlets that we, I think it's so important, like the Jewish day schools here. Um, it's really important that children, you know, particularly Jewish children, also all children really, but that they be able to connect with their, their heritage and their history um, in these different ways. And I don't know, I don't think I'm volunteering. Um, <laughs> And and there's been some movement toward that. I mean, the day school was definitely involved. And and Marcel, since you told Moshe and and Malk the story, you might want to talk about that connection with the day school. About Um, his daughter, you mean? Oh, yeah. um, yeah, uh, yeah. So in volume one, and I I guess also I'm going to back up just a little bit because I want to mention. So Hutzpah also is one of a number of, uh, of offerings from the Holocaust Center, all of which are meant to promote Holocaust studies and Holocaust learning. But more than that, you know, it's not just a project about history. It's also meant like all, all the work at the Holocaust Center is meant to connect history to the present. And, you know, the Hutzpah, while it does detail, uh, like I said, all these micro histories from a specific period of time, uh, it, it also, it's a very contemporary work. I, I perceive it as a contemporary work that relates to the world of today. You know, it's a, uh, these are, these are, these stories are cautionary tales. They are, they're there for us to learn from. And so the Holocaust Center offers all sorts of learning initiatives and, uh, and resources, uh, including, you know, we often have host survivors who talk to communities. We currently have a program, our, our generation speaker series, which, uh, we're second generation survivors they come they speak uh to to these stories because the idea is to preserve these you know so so we don't forget but also so they're applicable to our lives today uh so along those lines so the first issue of hood's pal uh two of the people that were featured in it were malka and moshe baron uh they were they were two holocaust survivors who met following their experiences and they married and eventually re- eventually relocated here to the States into Pittsburgh. Is this uh, the same Baron that uh, their daughter is the head of the community day school here? Avi Monroe, that's correct, yes. She's a good friend. So, yes, please. I know who you're speaking of. She's been very, she's been very supportive of the project. She's wonderful. I, I, she's she, marvelous, she, listens yeah. to this, she knows that we're way overdue for getting, like, coffee or something. <laughs> so that, that's got to happen. And, um, and, and... Her, her her mother isn't isn't with us anymore, but her dad is he's still here. Uh, Mache he's 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 really wonderful and he's been gracious about the project. 
Uh, and I have to say, so having illustrated his story from Wayne's script, because Wayne wrote a script that detailed both of their stories kind of, well, the story itself is titled Parallel Choices. So we see their stories play out sort of side by side. Uh, when, you know, I had, I had, Wayne had written it and I had drawn it based on resources that we had. So we had not met him prior to producing the work. So it wasn't until the debut of volume one, and that's a whole story in and of itself, but a good story. Uh, but it wasn't until it debuted that we actually got to meet him. And I, I often say this, and then I met him, you know, I've, I've met him several times over, but those first couple times I got to meet him, it was so disconcerting because I'd spent time detailing this person's life. Like, you know, I, you know, I knew that this was a real person, but there's, it still doesn't compare to then meeting the person in real life. And I always tell people, because I'm a, such a big Superman fan, it kind of overshadows everything in my life. But the first time I met him, it could not have been any more disconcerting than yeah. if Superman himself just walked in the room. It was, it was like that. And to different extents, it's been like that. Now, at this point, I've become much more acclimated to the survivors community. You know, I'm very, very familiar with many of them. They're, they you know, they're, they're friends. And um, when you get to know these stories, like the, the, I'm sure Wayne will attest to this as well. The responsibility that we've been entrusted with is a humbling thing. Yeah, that's that's been a big piece of my experience from the beginning of this. I, you know, I, I took home that tote bag full of, of research. And you know, initially, I'm just approaching it as researcher and writer and whatever. And I, I'm reading the stories, and it's not like I wasn't aware of this, but I, you know, somewhere on the line, it really clicked that, oh, these are real people. This really happened. And I am being... Tr I am being entrusted with their life in many ways. I, I need to do justice to their story. I need to honor their experience. Um, yeah. And I need to do that within the context of a, you know, four to eight page comic story. Uh, so it, it was definitely challenging uh, just as a creative person, it's challenging to, to pick those moments. Uh, when people ask me about the, the process of that, I, I talk about, you know, when I'm reading their stories or I'm listening to their interviews or whatever, and I'm making notes. There's you know, a couple of things I'm, I'm paying attention to. One is just what are the events? You know, what are, what are the big events? What are the most dramatic events? What kind of theme can I pull out of these experiences? You know, that, that's very much the technical aspect of it. But the other thing I pay attention to are what are the parts of their story that speak to me emotionally? What moves me? And that's the heart of the story. So I try to work all of that stuff in and, and during the entire process, I'm, I'm very conscious of, of honoring these people that this is their life. This isn't just a, a piece of fiction I'm writing. I'm sure. being entrusted with someone's life story. I think that's really important, especially, I mean, I'm going to go back to teaching because it's what I do, but like that idea of, of ensuring that your students know that this is not a fictional, like it's, because often, you know, you look at graphic novels and comic books and there's some kind of levity to it, a brevity, but there, there isn't. This is a real experience and a real human being is involved here um, in a true history. And I'm curious, I just question, like, you talked a little bit about how you, your process of pulling out those moments and what you include in the narrative, the comic book narrative. I, I'm wondering, and maybe you can both speak to this, how, because you know, we have the artist and the author here. Mm -hmm. I, I would consider you both artists, but... Um, how do you balance that? Uh, you know, like there's got to be so much that is given over through the visual representation 
of the character. And then I'm just curious about your process of you know, your collaborating and how those two things kind of pull, you know, bring forward this really visceral story yeah. um, of such a horrific experience. And how, how do you, how do you balance that between the art and the, the drawings and the writing? That's, yeah. that's the simple question of the art of comics. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you start off with uh, that one. It really is. That, that's the central question of the art of comics is part of what defines mm. what comics are is it's the, the interplay of the image with the text. Uh, the text tells part of the story. The image tells part of the story. The magic of comics mm. is when those two things interact with each other to create what I call a third layer of meaning. Right. Um, it, it's the type of thing that the words alone can't convey this. The image alone can't convey this. But when you pair them up, there's a synergy between the two that gives sort of an almost invisible message. Um, and you know, that's one of those things that there are people who do comics for years and do it phenomenally well. There are people who do comics for years and don't do it well at all. Uh, a lot of that is just, it's part of the craft. It's yeah. intuition. It's studying how other comics writers and artists do this sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I've spent, you know, a good 98% of my life reading comics, uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably not an exaggeration. So I have just absorbed the language of comic storytelling. And I, I don't mean to say that I do it perfectly every time, far from it. But it's, I've absorbed so much of that, that it's how I think about storytelling. I write prose as well, but I, even when I'm writing prose, I tend to visualize it in comics form first in my brain. So it's a matter of picking out story beats, which pieces of this yeah, you know, which pieces do the image tell? Which part does the, uh, the the words tell? And I think I've gotten better at that over the course of this project. I think everybody involved with this project has learned lessons from it and gotten better as they, they moved on. Um, so, I mean, one of the... I, one, from the first issue, one of the stories I tell to illustrate this, uh, a woman who, whose story we told is four pages, uh, Dora Eiler. Uh, Dora's story was drawn by Dave Wachter, who's a, a local artist who's currently working on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book. Uh, and a friend of ours, Dave is just a, a really embarrassingly good artist that we're all envious of. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but, but Dora's in a, a concentration camp and she escaped. She hid in plain sight, posing as a Christian for a year, was caught again, and was recognized by an old schoolmate who turned her in, uh, was captured again, was on a death march at the end of the war, and managed to escape that. Um, Dora experienced some tru truly horrific and violent actions, violence done to her. Um, and, you know, it was a real, of all of the stories I've, I've written for this, this is the one I wrestled with the most. It was the last one I wrote for the first issue because I just wasn't sure how to approach it. I, these are essential parts of her story. Uh, they, they were in, in many ways the most dramatic and the most heart-wrenching and the most important things about her story to tell. And finding a way to present that, and, and the way I describe it is I needed to tell that story in a way that didn't do violence to her again. It couldn't be prurient. It couldn't be sensationalistic. Um, but it needed to be there. And, and you know, we're, we're on a podcast. People are hearing right. our words. You can't see the, you can't see the image. So I can't really describe what we did. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm hoping that as people are listening to the podcast, if they're on their computers, they're 
simultaneously looking up some of the imagery that's out there online for this. Because, I mean, that's a great way to supplement a talk like this. Right. And we post this on the blog. There will be links added to a lot of this stuff. But you know, I, I scripted it and I talked to, to Dave and, and we came up with a solution to these things that I think work really incredibly well. I, I think they are powerful because they leave the actual violence and things to the reader's imagination. Uh, but there's no doubt as to what happened. And that's part of that power of comics because in, in some ways, I think the words and the images we chose are far more powerful than it had we just shown the actual event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, I, you know, there's now having coordinated volume three and having been a participant, <coughs> pardon me, having been a participant in volumes one and two, I can say, you know, there's, there's something about the the back and forth between writers and artists, you know, when you have both, when you, when you don't have one person doing both and actually even when you do, there's something ineffable about the, the, the selection and the choices that are made as to, you know, where do you lean more heavily towards text? Where do you lean more heavily towards visuals? Comics are of course a visual medium. So I think they generally that takes precedence, but I mean, this is a, such a project that, you know, there are places where you just, you have to be reliant on text. There are certain things that must be explained. Right. I will take a moment to tout Wayne's strength as lead writer here. And it's something he's heard me say many times because it's true. Uh, Wayne is very good about delivering scripts that are at once succinct, but give you the information that you need to know within the parameters of the story that's being told. That's, that's a difficult skill, particularly with, the types of stories that we're telling here, because, you know, the, the goal with Hutzpah stories is fidelity. And, you know, prior to me having the role of project coordinator, you know, I used to, I, I like to say that I'm kind of the caretaker of the Hutzpah aesthetic, but that, that speaks more to Hutzpah's visual uh, depictions. But really there's also something to the way that these stories have to be written. You know, there is, there is a tone that these stories have to have what Wayne was just describing about Dora's story. You know, there, there is a balance that has to be struck that maintains fidelity, but also that hones in on, you know, the specific elements that we need to get across. And then somewhere in there with all that in mind, you know, you hope that if you have a separate writer and artist working on a piece that that magical ineffable thing happens where the artist picks up on the intention or is just able to enhance the intention of the writer. And, and if you're the, you're a lone creator, if you're writing and drawing your story, and I've done that too, I've done both of these things on these stories, you know, you hope that it just, it comes to you. And I wish I could be more, (laughs) you know, I wish there was a better way to describe that, but I just, you, you, you hope that it comes to you how to depict certain things and, and be true to that subject matter. And some of that is, say, once again, just the experience of writing and drawing comics. And for, thank you, Marcel, for, for your, your compliments. And yes, I know you've said that before, but you know, I, I'm always appreciative. And, uh, and, and it's true, because I'm a hard editor, man. I'll tell you, but I don't think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, and in my case in particular, I, I knew all of the artists I worked with on all three issues. You know, they're all people who I know as friends. Uh, some of them have been professionals in the industry for years, people who I have a tremendous amount of artistic respect for and personal respect for. And it was very flattering to get to work with them on a, on a personal level, on a professional level. 
But it's also a case of I trust all of them and their skills. Like they know what they're doing. So my scripts, you know, Marcel used the word succinct. That's there. Like you know, for me, I, I set up here's the story and here's the dialogue and there's a pacing. There, there's a story beat thing that, that that is essential. But my actual panel descriptions are, I don't know if vague is the right word, but they leave a lot of leeway for interpretation on the part of the artist. And and to me, that's the artist's job is, is to do that piece of it. I, I don't want to describe every last button on someone's coat or, you know, what the leaves on the trees look like. It, you know, I, I give a general sense of the scene and an indication of the story beat, or we need a close up on this person's face and they look scared, that kind of thing. But this, the specifics of that, I, I leave to the artist because I, I trust them. In the most recent issue, we had writer and artist pair-ups of people who had never met and didn't know each other at all and it still worked out fine we actually had people who didn't meet <laughs> until we did the release event for the book so that was fun well, and, and that, that's the extra thing and Marcel's the best example of this you know, we, we have, I have the closest working relationship with Marcel of anybody on this project but in the story of, of Malka and Moshe that was a case that I'd written this story and when Marcel got it he restructured it from my script. Um, he drew the story I wrote. All the story beats were there, but he restructured the sequencing of it and it made it a much better story. And as, mm -hmm. as a writer, I was fine with that. I didn't like, he gave me back the story I wrote, even though it was in a different order than the way I wrote it. And giving him that leeway to do so made for a stronger story. To me, that's the essence of this type of collaboration is the writer and artist work together to the best benefit of the story. Story is the most right, 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 and and I've been very lucky in, in being able to work with artists who who really get that, and you know, so far it's we've turned out some I think really nice stuff. It always has to be all the best work, I, and that's true. I think just in the history of comics across the board, the best work is always the work that's done in the service of the story. You know, you kind of have to set aside your ego yeah. and your need to be different. I'll, I'll say that. That's not just uh, unique to comics, but I think in literature as a whole. Absolutely. As far as storytelling goes, I mean, that's the flesh that, you know, the narrative is the flesh that holds us all together. And if, if that's not there, then it's just not, you know, going to be an effective story or a telling of a story, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agreed. I think this is all super cool information. I mean, I'm just... Yeah, I'm looking forward to like integrating this into the classroom setting and even into, um, you know, the graduate program. I think it's kind of vital that we're all talking about this, um, particularly in Jewish studies. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to overlap into the history department and the theology department and philosophy department. I, I have a finger in most every pot of the liberal arts. <laughs> uh, they just can't keep me down. So I think this is something that can really, you know, spread to many disciplines and, and cross-disciplinary um, university level. Um, yeah, I just think it's so cool. Um, I'm curious, though, um, you said that you met Moshe after he, did he read the comic books? And, and maybe you could tell me, like, you didn't really get into, like, what his response was. It's, it's been positive. Like we haven't had in-depth conversations. He's, I mean, he is certain. I, my understanding yeah. is like he, he's read it. He's at the very least he's aware of it. He's, you know, it's his, it's his story, you know? So he, so <laughs> really, beyond a point, what is there, 
really for him to say other than than thank you, you know, which he which yeah. he has done. Yeah. He's been very he's been he's been very gracious to us. The, the times that I've met him, he's been very gracious to us um, about the project. So I do really think it was super cool comic book here and I just think that's super cool. I would be like totally flat. <laughs> Well, yeah, one of the other people in the, the first volume of whose story we told, uh, Fritz Oddenheimer, uh, Fritz passed last summer, but he's the one survivor who I had the opportunity to meet and talk with before I wrote his story. And Fritz had written a book about his adventures. Uh, adventures is probably not the right way to say his experience. Um, Fritz was really kind of brilliant and well-spoken and has given a tremendous amount of thought to the Holocaust and World War II and all the things that go into it. Uh, and I, I found out later that you know, he, he agreed to meet with me. But I found out later that he was one of the people who really wasn't sure about the project, didn't know what comics were really, that he didn't have a lot of faith, didn't quite understand what we were doing. But still, he, he met with me. You know, I, he invited me into his home. I went. I, I met his wife, Goldie. They were just wonderful to me. He sat. He, he gave up you know, an hour or so of his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that interview, he gave us some of the language we still use to talk about the project. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then after he read it, he was completely on board. He thought it was great. <laughs> so, And that seems to be – I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've really experienced – near unanimous approval of the project from pretty much everybody who's encountered it, uh, you know, from, you know, survivors themselves, uh, their survivors, survivors families, which is just as important. Uh, and then just other, other people in, in the community and in, in the general community. Matter of fact, um, you know, especially because having the exhibits as well, you know, we've had, we've had school groups come through, but we, we've also other groups and places, um, I've had the pleasure over the last few months mm-hmm. of talking to groups of uh, middle school children, high school students, college students, and senior learning students. And I got to tell you, like, they all get what we're doing. They all get it. They all appreciate it. It is a fascinating thing hearing feedback from each individual group and then each individual like what their their individual takeaways are uh at at uh pit this year there was a group of students who uh basically they were taught chutzpah i mean that's that's what they they were taught and uh they they each read volume three well they read all three volumes but then they were asked to give their their thoughts on uh, elements of volume three. And some of the students chose to talk about entire stories. Like, uh, some of them chose uh, like single pages. Some of them chose individual panels, which I got to tell you that I thought was a fascinating thing. Like what, what specifically moved them to, you know, to, to to really to, to discuss and to consider and how and why. And, and the, and the, it's it, it, it's almost indescribable. Like, first of all, that you can be a creator who could create a work that can make people do that, give them that level of consideration. Um, but also just seeing what it makes them think about. Like, when I, when I when I wa- witnessed that happening, that is when the project, in my mind, is fulfilling its its true purpose because it's connecting 
these points in history, you know, past and present. And at that point, at that point, Hood's pal makes these stories a living history, which is exactly what it's supposed to be. You know, these, these stories are supposed to live. And yeah, Wayne's heard this, this story before. And, and, you know, I, I, I always like, for me, one of the moments where it became most tangible and it happens again and again, but I remember when I was working on uh Malka Barnes story in volume one, and you know, as Wayne said, like I was working from his script, and and it was a it was a really good script. Like one, you know, Wayne has everything in there I needed when he talked about me restructuring. It was just really more a matter of timing, pacing, that kind of thing. But like I'm working on it, I'm working on a page of her story, and I'm at the drawing board. I'd already been working on it for a little while, but it hit me in the middle of working on this thing that because I was coming up to a very important moment in in her life. I mean, I would say it, it's possible it was the the emotional moment of the issue that's debatable but you know so i get to that moment i realize that's a real thing that i'm drawing like this this is a thing that a moment that actually transpired and in this moment it became my duty to preserve that for history that's my job to document that and my hand shook and i've never had that happen i actually had to stop (laughs) <laughs> and kind of composed myself a little bit and you flat, fast forward a little bit to when the work was completed my girlfriend came over to the house and she's she knew about it and she's looking at it on our art table my art table up there in the, in the studio and and she got very quiet for a moment and i i looked over to see if she was okay and she was actually she was crying and it was at the same moment in the story where like i said my hand shook and it, you know, I'm a doofus because I was like, yes. And I, but then I got her tissues because that's what you're supposed to do. But <laughs> it, it was, it, but it was validation of what this project, I've had other people tell me that the, the books have moved them to tears. Well, I'll tell you what, the fact that you're engaging this younger generation on this topic is, is, is quite an amazing feat, especially in this current social political climate that we're dealing with where people would like to just forget the history of, you know, yeah. this Holocaust and, mm-hmm. and the people in and we have a generational yeah. issue here because, you know, uh, Holocaust survivors are not going to be around for much longer to tell those stories. And for to capture that is brilliant. And, and that was so much the motivator of, of this, that you know, these people are, they are passing. It, it won't be long until there will be no one who actually remembers this. Um, in volume three, we focused on people who were children during the Holocaust and most, if not all of them, we lost one since the book came out, didn't we? Yeah. But they're, yeah, they're, they were all still living. One of them has died since the book was released, but you know, like they're still living, but they were children at the time. And even they are all in their eighties. So you know, the, the time is coming. There will be no living memory of this event. So preserving these stories is, is more important than ever. And yes, as you say, particularly with, particularly with the, the current climate, the, it's important, you know, like we, that whole learning from history thing, we need to learn from history. Yeah, which is, is incredible and commendable. I guess I have a question also that maybe to expand this, and I'm thinking of, again, back to my classroom, but I've been in trying to incorporate digital mediums and digital formats more for my students and actually having them engage and create their own um, digital platforms, you know, through through the lessons that they're learning. Um, I wonder if that might be something in the future that, you know, you might be able to create this 
digital comic book archives. You are right in, I gotta tell you, it's funny because you're right where we are at. And oh, cool. um, we are currently, like literally, I saw some of it today at the Holocaust Center. Uh, we are working on some initiatives along these lines. And I, I, I don't know the exact like timeline, like when some of this is gonna be rolled out. It's relatively soon though. Um, but we have, yeah, we are we are working towards uh, making parts of the Hutzpah project available right. in digital, like digital format. Like we're we're exploring that because you're right. I mean, that's the world we live in, and it only and and there are ways to utilize that technology to basically do a deeper dive. You know, so because the, the the comics themselves, you know, like I said, to date there are three volumes with more. I don't even want to say plan. There are more coming. Like we, we're, we're, it's at this point, like it's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, we're actually, we're, we're in preliminary discussions right now with volume four. So, you know, it's, 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 this series is going to continue. And, and the support that the Holocaust Center has put behind this from this you know, idea around a table in 2013 till now it's something that not only have they, we produced three of them, but you know, they've created this position for Marcel. They have thrown their, their full support behind this. Um, and and you know, I, I want to point out that for all the artists involved, the writers and the artists, you know, through grant money, we have paid everybody really pretty decent professional rates. Um, so that's that's an important piece of it. That's something I stressed in the earliest meetings of this is if we're going to do this, we got to do this right. If you want professional work, you got to pay people professional rates. And uh, they made it happen. Mm-hmm. And that's the standard now. And, you know, I mean, there's so much good that's come out of Hood's Bow, and not the least of which is, you know, by establishing kind of a baseline, a baseline of the value of this project with by, you know, by treating the artists like working professionals, which is what they are, you know, paying them what they deserve. By doing that, it, it establishes something here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Which, which is that, you know, work of this sort is valued in the city and there can be other applications for comics art because, you know, so, so, you know, we've, there's Hood's Pals value in education. There's also Hood's Pals value, I'm going to say to the arts, because like I said, it, it, it normalizes the way work like this should be produced and the reasons why it should be produced. And what we've what we've taken to calling the Hutzpah model, it is already now being applied to other organizations and entities. You know, so Wayne and I have had a long-standing relationship with the Toonzeum, Pittsburgh's Museum of Comics and Cartoon Art. Uh, that relationship goes back for quite some some time. You know, we were both. I guess we were both pretty dedicated volunteers, really. Yeah, and and, and the museum the museum was actively involved in the production of the first issue of Hood's Pal. So that and so that interconnectedness that yeah. played a big role in how we both, you know, both in how we our involvement with the project. I guess you know the museum is involved in some initiatives right now that that basically follow the Hood's Pal model. You know, telling stories of people who have experienced different things. But utilizing, you know, the comics medium and specifically this kind of format, this, this kind of anthology format and to, to do, to give this information. But where I was heading before is, you know, the, the medium of comics is a medium of economy. So you only have so many pages and so much space to tell any kind of story. And, you know, it becomes even trickier 
when you have so many people whose stories are worth telling. And, you know, one of the challenges with volume three was we, you know, we depicted more stories and, and related more stories than that than we had any volume to date. Uh, but there's only so much you can do. But, you know, to cycle back around to the, the, the digital platform idea, you know, that's where we you have an option of doing a deeper dive. So there's more information there to be conveyed. Here's a medium. Here's a place where that can happen, where, you know, the, the information that's given to readers can be more expansive. And hopefully, you know, so at that point, the comics themselves are just the jumping off point for the readers to gain even more knowledge about the subject. And, you know, for us to also, again, do even more with tying that in to current events and current climates and things. So there's, there's still a lot of room for the project to expand. Yeah, this is fantastic. I wonder, have you heard any, um, have there been any outside uh, organizations or groups that have shown interest in this? That, you know, not just local, like within the city of Pittsburgh, but maybe. Uh... Oh, yes. We've we've had. I mean, it's been ordered. I mean, because you can order Hoodspout online and it's been ordered at this point globally. But uh, I know just recently there was a pretty large presentation given in New York where uh, a, a Jewish professionals group, I believe they were. They mm-hmm. were uh, introduced to Hoodspout. And, you know, what the project is and everything. And I mean, this, this yeah, I mean, and that's one of our goals in this year is to see right. expansion of our distribution network, because, you know, there's limited, there's finite resources as far as getting that out there. But at the same time, there's finite resources, but there's infinite potential. Yeah. And comic book, comic book distribution to the standard comic book distribution model is a weird world all of its own. <laughs> so. But we, but it is something we are, are mindful of. You know, we are looking to do more to get that, to get this book. We want to get it in as many hands as we possibly can. And with each issue that is released, with each volume, we see more and more interest. Like, and it's, oh, wow. it's been also fascinating watching that happen because, you know, volume one, Wayne, why don't you, you talk about our first release party? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I do want to take a, a little bit of time before we're done here. We're actually closing in on an hour already. We're still, we, we still have some time, but uh, I, I do want to take some time just to list who the survivors are and the other creators on the project, just to shout out to everybody. But yeah, the, the release party, the release party, is that what you asked? Yeah. Marcel? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. First release party, we, um, we closed down a city block downtown. Like they, we, we got the permits and closed down a city block. We had food trucks and live music. And I think like 500 people came through, um, at the same time, um, Fritz Odenheimer and Joe Woes, who was director of the museum at the time were interviewed on what's the program, local cable interview program. Oh, uh, 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 night talk. Night talk, yeah. So that was like they were being interviewed live while the release party was taking place. It was it was massive. We were rock stars for about three hours that night, and that's the night. I, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. You know, going back to those. Marcel was talking about that emotional moment he had when when drawing Malka's story. You know, I had several of those when I was writing this stuff. That I probably the most you know, personal emotional moment I had was Dora, who I, I talked about earlier. Her family came to me that night. Uh, Dora passed in, I, I, I don't want to say a date, early 2000s, but her family came to me that night and, and they thanked me. And one of them said that, you know, they, 
they hadn't heard a lot of the stories because of some of the violence that, that had been done to her. They had always kind of thought of their mother, their grandmother as a victim in this. And they told me that this four page story I wrote helped them think of her more as a hero. Yeah. Um, yeah. Powerful. And, and I, I well up and start to tear up every time I tell that and I mean, I'm doing it right now. That's powerful. You know, that, that's life changing. It, it changes the perception of, of this person. Um, and, you know, based on the research I did and in that story, she was fierce. Uh, so, so I want to spend a little bit of time going over who some of the other creative people were on the project. And Marcel, feel free to jump in. I'll probably let you do volume three because you're more involved with it day to day and I'm old and forgetful. Uh, so, so on the first volume, see, I, I wrote all what five of the stories, four of the stories, five, five survivors. I wrote all four of the stories. Uh, as we said before, Marcel did the art on the Moshe and Malka Baron story. Dave Wachter, who I mentioned earlier, did the art on Dora Eiler's story. Uh, I mentioned Fritz Odenheimer. His story was drawn by Chris Moeller. Chris is, uh, an artist on, um, uh, magic cards. And he's done a lot of book covers and comics covers. Did a lot of stuff for Vertigo. Um, Oh, and back up, Dave Wacker is currently the artist on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, among a whole bunch of other things he's done. And Mark Zingarelli drew the story of Les Banos. Uh, Mark is a long-term what, independent artist. How would you describe him, Marcel? He, he's done a little bit of everything, book covers and magazines and comics. And He's a, he's a comics creator slash illustrator, probably the best way to describe him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but remarkably talented. Mark Zingarelli is the other person who is in all three books. Uh, Mark's just great to work with. Uh, so that's, that's issue one. The second issue was more internationally well-known heroes. Uh, I wrote all the stories, but one Marcel wrote and drew that. You want to mention that one, Marcel? Uh, yeah. In volume two, I wrote and drew the story of Irena Sendler. Uh, she was a social worker in Warsaw during, during, uh, during the Holocaust. And she spearheaded an effort that saved the lives and identities of roughly 2,500 Jewish children. So who else is in that book? Uh, Raul Wallenberg, who was a, a diplomat who, who helped uh, get people out of Budapest, among other things. It was drawn by Leela Corman. Leela is the, the one artist. Leela Corman is the one artist who on the project who does not live and work out of Pittsburgh. Uh, Leela is an Eisner Award-nominated cartoonist. We had the story of Sophie Scholl and the, the White Rose, which was drawn by Fred Wheaton and Marcel, and I inked that project. Wow, I'm just completely blanking. Who else is in that book, Marcel? I think you got. I think you hit everybody. You did. Oh, we we did we did more of Les Banner's story. Mark Mark read that, and then issue three. If you yeah. Know. Oh no, Don. I'm sorry. The uh, Don Simpson, the the Bielski brothers, who were resistance fighters in the in the woods, lived in the woods for years, created a enormous community hidden from from the, the Nazis just out in the woods. Uh, and Don Simpson, who's a, a long-term comics artist, uh, turned in some remarkable pages yeah, for that. Yeah, that. that was beautiful stuff. I mean, probably, arguably, my favorite work that I've ever seen him do. So, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so then we did had Volume 3, which just was released this past March. And yeah, we, this is the largest number of creators and, uh, and subjects that have been in a, in a single issue of Hoots Pal. Um, the main stories, there were, there were 
five that are in the physical issue, uh, there is, oh boy, where do I even begin? Well, for, I'll, so the, yeah, yes. really, so Walter Boninger, he was the one survivor who has since passed away. Uh, his story was written by Wayne and pencil art was penciled, uh, excuse me, written and inked by Wayne with pencil artwork by Lauren Skinkus. Uh, there was Ingeberg Katzenstein. Uh, her story was depicted, written and drawn by Rachel Masalamani. Uh, there is Solange Leibovitz. Her story was written by Yona Harvey, acclaimed local professor and poet and comics creator. And she's worked for Marvel and the Black Panther books and just all sorts of stuff. So Yona, who turned in a stellar script and artwork by Vince Dorsey. Uh, let's see, Judah Samet. His story was written by Wayne as well and with art by Mark Singarelli. So got you guys back together there. Uh, and Irene Skolnick, whose her story was written by local writer Disha Filiaw and art by seasoned comics creator Howard Bender, who, you know, that was a coup getting him on this project. Uh, there are a number of other survivors whose stories were told in uh, much more compact form because it was, you know, again, the limitations of page size. And we're, we're grateful for all of them that allowed their stories to be told. And, you know, depending on how the Hoodspile project unfolds, you know, my thinking is always there is, there's always room for expansion with these things because uh, every story is interesting. Uh, every story has its own unique power, you know, but there are ways, there are different approaches that we have to take to every story because they are all so different. So that's where there, you know, there's time involved with the work and, uh, you know, you, we have to put thought and consideration into how we produce it. But I gotta say, I'm inordinately proud of the three volumes that we've produced so far. I, I think they're just great work. Yeah. Same here. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, any, do you have, Rocco, do you have any, any follow up questions or, or comments, uh, just for us to wrap this up relatively soon here? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested to learn more and to, uh, learn more about the project and maybe, you know, keep uh, learning more and integrate it into even the classroom setting. Um, but I really do appreciate you having me here and then including me in the conversation. Um, it's been really interesting to, to meet and talk to both of you about this amazing project. Um, and, uh, I hope to be one of your uh, advocates from here on out to, uh, spreading the word and, and, uh, you know, get people interested in this. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. For no, no, thank us. you. I, um, yeah, uh, I, I guess just wrap up. I, I'm going to ask everybody, you know, give me your, your social media things. I, I guess more than the other episodes of, of Vox podcast, this has been more say promotion and talking about a personal project than it was a lot of pop culture analysis. We didn't go real deep with, with a lot of that sort of thing. Uh, that's probably because Mav wasn't here. Uh, there's also a lot, there's a lot less swearing on this episode than, than previous episodes. Um, so, my mom can actually listen uh, to this. <laughs> your mom can listen to this one, Marcel. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Rocco, do you have any any social media places you want to hype up or projects you're currently involved in that you want to tell people well, about? I'm, I'm involved in a few conversations, a few projects. Um, I'm working with Dr. Linda Kinahan and Dr. Suzanne Churchill, uh, University of Buffalo, University of Georgia, and Duquesne University. We're putting actually a digital. Um, we're creating a digital platform for the modernist uh, woman poet Mina Loy. Um, so 
and that's, you know, something that we've also tied into our pedagogical practices. So our students are actually adding to this site and creating it, which is, you know, part of the questioning I have uh, had for you during our podcast here um, and how yours might be, you know, moving towards a digital format, which I think is amazing. Um, so, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm always collaborating, um, you know, on, on modernist women's poetry. I like to work in recovery of erased voices. So I think it's amazing that you are, um, you know, rediscovering or re, you know, uh, affirming these Holocaust voices, these survivor voices, you know, just Telling the survivor stories is not just telling their stories, but telling a whole story, a whole history, um, and something that can't be forgotten. And I think that's really important for us to remember, you know, as 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 people, right? Like as artists, as, as scholars, as you know, we yeah. need to keep that in mind that we're telling the story of yes, the individual, but as as our history as a whole, you know, as the history of humanity. So. That they are when you tell an individual stories, it just it makes it more human. I mean, you talk about yeah. the Holocaust, and you hear the, the numbers, and nobody can process six million people you, intellectually. It, it's just a number. But when we tell individual stories, it humanizes the entire yeah. experience. Yeah, and I would agree with I that. I think somehow makes it more real. But yeah, I'm always working on research projects, so I could go down the, the list, but we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, yeah, and, and you know, say at, for, for everybody involved, uh, we will have the, the links to any of your projects and social media, that sort of thing, uh, linked on the, the website. Marcel, do you have any social media you want people to follow? I'm really easy to find. <laughs> yeah. um, you can always, you can find me on Twitter, of course. Uh, I think I'm Marcel Walker one. You can find, of course, there's my website where you can always branch out and find. So MarcelWalker.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm on, yeah, I'm everywhere. Just, if you, just literally, if you just type in Marcel, Marcel Walker, Marcel Lamont Walker, comics boom you'll get everything and yeah and you can and you can reach out to me and contact me if you've got any questions about Hutzpah, uh you know i i reach me either through my media or you can reach me through the holocaust center and i'd be more than happy to uh talk about the project with anybody because you know we, we want we want more people to be aware of it so yeah please reach out you can find me at lane-wise.com. You can, if you wish to purchase copies of Hood's Pal, they, the Holocaust Center has them. Uh, there will be a link with where you can order them online. And my, my place of employment that helps me pay my rent, uh, has them on hand as well. Phantom of the Attic in the Oakland section of Pittsburgh. Uh, that's the other shameless plug that I try to work in every week. So, so that, that's pretty much it. Uh, thanks Marcel. Thanks Rocco. Thank uh, Thank we're, we're going to get out of here. So, okay, that's Vox Popcast. Check us out next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.